Amen. Luke 19, 41. This is the New King James. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And Jesus then gave the reason because you did not know the time of your visitation. I want to speak to you tonight from this passage and this theme in the Bible an encouragement to you, don't miss your moment. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Don't miss your moment. Several years ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and uh, one of my teenage years friends attends that church. And I asked him, I'm leaving the names out of this intentionally, I said, how's my friend doing? My pastor friend jokingly said, asleep at the wheel. And we both laughed, and I hoped it wasn't true, (laughs) that he was asleep at the wheel. So I've thought a lot about that through the years in the natural and in the spiritual. I, I did fall asleep at the wheel one time, and God was good to me. I've almost fallen asleep, but I did fall asleep on a road trip. Driven all night, I was by myself, and I ran into a reflector on the side of the road. It hit my mirror into the passenger side glass, and I was wide awake. From there to Bellman GMC, where I had my window replaced. This is several years ago. But you should always be awake and alert at the wheel. However, if you're on a long road trip on the interstate, the traffic is light, You can probably get by with being in a little bit of a road daze, not focused totally on the road before you. You might be able to get by if you're not at an interchange or an intersection. That's a terrible time to be asleep at the wheel. My best friend and I made a trip to Colorado from Miami, Florida to Denver, Colorado. When we graduated from high school, we both took a one-month leave of absence from our jobs, and went out and stayed with my aunt and uncle there and did odd jobs with him, learned how to hang wallpaper and paint and hunted and hung out there and went to a general conference in Salt Lake City. Uh, On the way home, we decided we were going to drive straight through from Denver to Panama City, Florida, where my, my aunt and uncle lived, my grandparents lived there. And uh, Google Maps today says it's 24 hours if you drive straight through and if you left at about 7 o'clock this evening, then it seemed like it was about 30 hours. Uh, I drove first as long as I could drive. We might have uh, changed off once, but I remember somewhere in a deep desert that we swapped drivers and I fell sound asleep. Uh, My buddy Bruce tried to wake me up when he got into Dallas, Texas, but I was so tired, he couldn't wake me up. When he did wake me up, we were in downtown Dallas, staring at a lot of tall buildings, 
you may realize that in 1973, there were no cell phones unless you were rich or you were a spy. And uh, there was no Google Maps, no Waze, no Apple Maps. It was a physical map. And so I woke up and we had no idea where we were. We eventually found our way back to the interstate and got home safe and sound. I was not at the wheel, but I was sound asleep. And that's not a good place to be in the road of life. So tonight, I want to give us all a friendly wake-up call that this is a terrible time to be spiritually dull or asleep or on cruise control. We are at a wonderful intersection in the history of our church. And while we voted unanimously to proceed with the building program, this is more than a building. This is about the purpose of the church. This is about people. This is about our mission. And I felt led of the Lord to encourage you, not just us as a corporate body, but you as a part of this body to not miss your moment. Don't be asleep at the wheel. Luke 19 is the final week of the life of Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. There are various opinions of the chronology, but mine that I would like to share goes like this. Jesus arrived at Bethany on Saturday. Jade White Pentecost says he believes it was March 28. There were crowds at Bethany on Sunday. The triumphal entry. Some people say Sunday, he puts it on Monday. Then he cursed the fig tree on Tuesday, wept over the city of Jerusalem. On Wednesday, he cleansed the temple that day. On Wednesday was the Olivet Discourse and temple controversies. On Thursday, he ate the Passover with his disciples, arrested and tried and tried again on Friday morning, April 3rd perhaps, and then crucified that day. Luke 19 discusses this, Luke 19, 41. And when he was come near... He beheld the city and wept over it. One of the classic writers on the life of Christ is Alfred Edersheim. He writes in somewhat archaic language, but very colorful. He describes what would have happened as Jesus was on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And he came over that mountain and began to descend the trail toward the city of Jerusalem. For a while, you might have been able to peek at the city. Then it would have been obscured by the brow of the hill. He describes a place that still exists on the rugged ascent again, a rock outcropping where you could look out and behold the city of Jerusalem. This was early in the morning, and Jesus is looking out over the city that he loved, the city that was established, the city of God, they would say, over the city of Jerusalem. Between the Mount of Olives, and some of you have been there. Most of us have seen pictures. The Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane is the most moving place in the Holy Land that I have ever been. And there is the Valley of Hinnom, this valley, and then the city rises up from that deep valley. And Jesus sees the city again. And from that vantage point overlooking the city, Jesus began to weep was more than the weeping that we read about when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, at the grief of people. 
that he breaks out in sighs and cries. He is broken at this, and he is weeping over the city. I've wondered how many cities have never been wept over, how many people have never had someone intercede for them in prayer. I've known of a minister years ago was passing through a city and just stopped and said, I don't know if anyone has ever wept over this city. And they stopped and prayed. That's what Jesus did. It's a significant thing that it is probable that this day that Jesus wept over Jerusalem and pronounced his curse over them was the precise day that Daniel the prophet wrote about. And Jesus said of them in Luke 19.42, this is what he said, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And Jesus says this day, as if yesterday was an okay day. Yesterday was a different day. Yesterday you could have repented. Yesterday you could have changed your mind. But this day is a different day. This may have been the day that Daniel described when everything would change for Israel and the Lord would change his program to the Gentiles. Daniel 9, 24 speaks about this. Seventy days are determined upon my people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the walls, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war, declarations are determined. Hundreds of year be years before this day, Daniel saw, I learned in Bible college through the telescope of prophecy, that this day would come, that Jesus would stand on the brow of all of it, looking down over the city he loved, and say, if you would have known, if you could have been awake, if you could have not missed your moment, but Jesus said, but now in this instant, they are hidden from your eyes. What an amazing time frame. What a terrible time to be asleep at the wheel and miss your moment. Now Jesus will go into Jerusalem. He will cleanse the temple. This prophetic backdrop paints a picture of a nation who not individually, but nationally, the collection of people rejected Jesus Christ. Luke 19, 42, the pronouncement of judgment went like this. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, Jesus is telling them, this day, this season of time has been your opportunity. If you would have known the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment. We read this in our text around you. Surround you and close you in on every side. And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave to you one stone upon another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. These statements are very stunning. The first century Jewish historian Josephus wrote in graphic detail about what took place when the Roman general Titus invaded Jerusalem in 70 AD. There was a great siege at the end of this that Jesus summarized. He prophetically told them what would happen to them in just a few decades. We know from history what Rome would do when they besieged and crushed a city. And Jesus saw this that was just a few years down the road, that Jerusalem would be leveled, the temple would be destroyed. There would be not one stone left upon another. Jesus had prophesied this before this time that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And when Titus and the Roman armies invaded Jerusalem, they slaughtered every living person. They left no one alive. And Jesus said, if you would have known, if you would have known, at least in this your day, the things that belong to your peace. But now, that window of opportunity is closed. There's nothing you can do to change it. Now blindness happens to Israel, and Jesus will be crucified at their hands. Now, the, the historic rejection of God's prophet, prophets is, is in the Bible everywhere, and I know this particular part of my message is pretty heavy, right? But I want you to think about this because it is in the Bible. And my mission tonight is not to talk about gloom and doom, but to teach about the importance of knowing where you are in your life and knowing where we are as a local church and also as God's church in the earth. We are at a time and we cannot afford to be asleep at the wheel. Matthew 21, Jesus, and I'm not going to show all these verses. There are quite a few stories, but I'll give you the reference for all the note takers. And this is always archived online. Jesus said, I want to tell you another parable. It's of a certain householder. He planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, built a tower, and he, he rented it out. He let it out to husbandmen, and he went into a far country. Now, this is a depiction of national Israel. And when the time of fruit drew near, this would have been when Jesus came to this earth. He sent his servants, the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits thereof. But his husbands took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned yet another. Again, he sent forth other servants. This is the history of the prophets that had come to Israel. And they did likewise to them. Matthew 21, 37. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. And he said, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize Upon his inheritance. And they caught him. And cast him out of the vineyard. And slew him. That. Is how Jesus saw. What would happen. 
in national Israel. Isaiah in chapter 6 wrote about the nature of the people of Israel. He said, go to this people and tell them, hear you indeed and understand not, and see indeed but perceive not. Make the heart of his people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and be healed. Jesus quoted Isaiah in Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is a number of parables of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, 13, Jesus said, I speak to these people in parables because they seeing see not. They've got good eyes, but not good perception. They have the ability to see, but they don't have the will to see. So it's not a lack of ability, it's a lack of desire. They hear, but they don't understand. And in them, Jesus said, is fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah when he said, now he quotes Isaiah that I just read to you, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and by seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. When Stephen was called before the council and Stephen, this first martyr of the church, he preaches a very long sermon in Acts chapter 7. And if I thought I was about to die, I would probably preach a very long sermon. Stephen in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7 describes the nature of the people of Israel. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, I don't believe that you can scripturally document a generational curse theology, but certainly sometimes children imitate their parents. That's why it's so important that every parent be sincere in their faith. The Bible describes the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We should hold the truth in sincerity. We should protect our attitude because our kids see what we do, hear what we say, but they feel our attitudes as well. And Stephen said, you've got the same attitude as national Israel. And he said, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Doesn't this sound like the parable Jesus told? And they have slain them which show before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now, Jesus said that of all the times that people could not afford to be asleep at the wheel, it was in his day. Stephen described just before he was martyred the nature 
of these people. I want to read again Luke 19, 42. But Jesus said, saying, if thou hadst known, I'm back in the King James now, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, and now they're hid from thine eyes. Now, what Jesus is saying here, that you, you people have a history of rejecting God. Isaiah wrote about it. Jesus told a parable about it. Jesus quoted Isaiah. Stephen rehearsed the history of Israel. But Jesus said, even though for generations you have rejected the Lord, if now of all the past failures of your fathers, if you would wake up, you would not have to miss your moment. You could have failed for generations, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But now with all of that in the rearview mirror, you have a moment that you could have repented and you could have received me and not perished. Now, I don't try to predict that I know every reason Israel rejected the Lord. I could postulate a few biblical examples and say this is how I believe. But I want to show you three reasons that I believe Israel missed it. And they're sure, I'm sure that there are more. But the first reason for rejection is that they willfully close their eyes to the evidence. They chose ignorance over revelation. Matthew 13, 15. This people's heart is waxed gross and their ears of duller hearing of hearing and their eyes have they closed. I emphasized this verse a while ago because I wanted you to see that that God did not do this to them. This was not the curse on them. But in hearing truth, they chose to say no. They closed their eyes to evidence. They chose ignorance in the face of evidence. Jesus came to them and he fulfilled the prophecies. He said, if you don't believe me, believe me for the work's sake. The words of Jesus Christ and the works of Jesus Christ authenticated him, proved that he was their Messiah. And in spite of all that evidence, they shut their eyes, they covered their ears, and their hearts were just shut down to God, calloused, hardened their hearts. Isaiah spoke about a time when Judgment is turned away backward and justice stands afar off and truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. That was so much like the people of Israel. The actions of the people who stoned Stephen depicted the attitude of many people in Israel toward the Lord. I'm back in Stephen's sermon and the consequences in Acts 7, 57. So Stephen is preaching they are cut to the heart. And the Bible said, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. 
They are hearing their history rehearse. And when they get to a place of so much conviction that they're cut to the heart, instead of repenting, they literally cover their ears and stone him to death. So I believe the first reason is that they chose ignorance in the face of evidence with who Jesus was, with every prophecy that he fulfilled, they decided in spite of that to reject Jesus Christ. The second reason I would like to mention is the ignorance of the scriptures. Now the Bible, the Old Testament prophecies, spoke about a Messiah who would ride a white horse, who would deliver them from their enemies. But there was also Isaiah 53, that he would be rejected and despised, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he would be, he would be crucified, right? There's so many prophecies about that. But they picked the scriptures that they wanted and rejected the ones they did not like. Now, I should have put this in my notes, but John chapter 7, verse 40. Now, Jesus is teaching, and many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. They're listening to Jesus teach, and some of the people are saying, wow, this has got to be the Messiah. Others said, thus is the Christ. This is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Has the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now you think about what just happened. They're saying, Jesus is a Galilean. He's from the city of Nazareth. But the Bible says, their Old Testament Bible says that the Messiah was, to be, was supposed to be born in the city of Bethlehem. So without ever checking, without ever asking, without ever comparing Scripture with Scripture, that he will be called a Nazarene, but he's born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Nobody got a birth certificate. I don't know if there is a birth certificate. Here was something that they could have known. Here was something that if they compared Scripture with Scripture, they could have found. But they ignored the truth of Scriptures. The prophets said all of this. But they concluded that Jesus could not be the Messiah with information they could have readily found. All they had to do was examine the truth. And many people today miss their moment, miss their Messiah, miss salvation, simply because they said, well, I never saw that in the Bible. What about this speaking in tongues? And what about this? Or what about that? And they rely on tradition and what they've heard instead of searching the scriptures to find out whether or not that is true. How many people could know God if they would just see what the Bible really says and see that the evidence is clear? They were prejudiced against the truth, refused to give it a fair hearing or to examine it for themselves. Acts chapter 17 speaks of Paul going to Thessalonica and then to the city of Berea. 
And Acts 17.10 says that they went to Berea and those were more noble in Berea than those of Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness of mind or with an open mind. And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Thank God for people who will not see truth and look the other way because it is inconvenient. Whether it is about forgiveness or about salvation, there should never be a time in our lives when we turn our backs on the light of truth and ignore what thus saith the word of God. We can say that we have the truth, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, Amen. We'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. Some people chose ignorance over evidence and some people having access to the truth chose to ignore what the Bible said. Unbelievable question. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus spoke about those who were questioning the resurrection. This is in Mark chapter 12, verse 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not err because you know not the scriptures, neither power of God? This is, you know, the question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? That's that story. And Jesus said, you're erring because you have a Bible, but you don't know your Bible. You say you love the Bible, but you don't read your Bible. You say you believe the Bible, but you don't obey the Bible. Amen. We see this so much in traditional religion today. That people ignore the truth, choosing to cling to their traditions or what they choose to see in the Word of God. The third reason I want to point out, and again, you might find five more later. But there are people who... Rejected Jesus Christ because of their selfish interests. There are people in the days of Jesus who were in power. They were in a coalition with the Romans. They had a lot to lose by accepting Jesus Christ. And so in God's sovereign plan, we know Jesus would come to die. But those who rejected him were culpable for his death and bore their guilt. They said, rightly, let his sins be upon us and on, let his blood be upon us and on our children. There's a fascinating verse of scripture, John 11, once again, not on the screens, but John eleven forty seven. Then gather the chief priests and the Pharisees, a council, and they said, what, what do we for this man doeth many miracles. So behind closed doors, they acknowledged that Jesus was a miracle worker. Now there was a lot more they could have acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. Then they said, if we let him alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. 
If we believe in Jesus, we're going to lose power. If we believe in Jesus, we might be persecuted. If we believe in Jesus, we're going to identify with him, and it may not be popular in 2023. They're going to take away our place, a position, a power of wealth that they had, especially among many in the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, who were really working with the Roman government. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said unto them, you know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. What he said was, what he meant was, Jesus is expendable. If we let him live, we'll lose power. But it would be better to let this good man, this miracle worker die, that the whole nation won't perish. Now, John goes on to tell us that he didn't say this knowing what he was saying, but prophetically, because he was the high priest, God used a man in a religious office to prophesy something when he, he intended something completely different. Sometimes God uses people because of their position, not because of their right relationship with him. We ought to have a right relationship with him and use our positions in uh, working with God, right? So I'm telling you that there are people who miss Jesus Christ because of selfish interest. If we follow Jesus, we're going to be put out of our positions of power. If we follow Jesus, this may not go well for us. Selfish interest still motivates people to stay in churches where truth is not taught because of family, friends, business, popularity, acceptance in the culture. Jesus said in Matthew and John 15, 22, if I had not come and spoken to, the him, to them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak. They have no cover-up from their sin. I have ripped their cover-up off to reveal their real motives. So we need to learn lessons from those who rejected Jesus Christ. And I'll give you these three reasons again. There were some people who willfully closed their eyes to the evidence that was right in front of them. They chose ignorance over evidence. There are others, and some of the same people, who rejected Jesus Christ by a basic ignorance of the Scripture. It was there in writing, but they failed to search to find out the truth. There were others who missed their Messiah because of selfish interests. It was not in their best interest to follow Jesus Christ. And while there are other reasons why people may miss their moment, 
when Jesus spoke over the city of Jerusalem. He said, of all the times you blew it, of all the times you were asleep at the wheel, if right now, yesterday, if just now you would have opened your eyes, been awake, then everything could have changed. And all the failures of the past could have been erased in forgiveness. But now, the prophecy of Daniel and others, that curtain comes down and things change completely. But, but I want to tell you that not everybody missed their moment. That while the history of Israel is a history of the rejection of the Lord, there are some who are contrasted by that. I spoke to you about Matthew 13, what Jesus said about the parables that he spoke and how their eyes were closed and all of that. But in Matthew 13, 16, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. So not everybody missed their moment. Amen. Was it all gloom and doom? The people of the land, sincere people received the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not miss their moment. Righteous leaders, religious leaders like Nicodemus received him. The, the writer John said he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even as many that believe on his name. The self-exclusion of the Jews opened the way for Gentiles to embrace their moment. And then there is the end of the book of Acts. And let me quickly summarize and go to Acts 28, 23 in just a moment. So the book of Acts is a story of going to synagogues first, giving Jews the first opportunity to receive the gospel. But throughout the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Samaritans are saved. Acts chapter 10, Gentiles are saved. Synagogues and then preaching other places, and there are thousands and thousands of Gentiles coming into the church. Acts 15 is the Jerusalem council where the leaders of the church try to figure out what to do with the thousands of Gentiles who are being saved. So you have this, this kind of conflict going on in the book of Acts where the Jews are gradually closing their eyes. These are Jewish people who had a chance. And the Gentiles are opening their eyes. Paul at the end of Acts, Acts 28, 23, tells a story. And when they had appointed him a day, and Paul is now in Rome, He's probably in a private house, house arrest, and he invites Jewish people to come to him for him to give them a chance to hear the gospel. Jews that are in Rome, whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. He used their Bible, the Old Testament, to prove Jesus to them. Verse 24. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they had agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken this one word. 
well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. Does this sound familiar? Saying, go unto this people and say, hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross. And their eyes are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you. That the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. I'm glad that we have a moment to embrace the truth and follow Jesus Christ. If you're able, would you stand right now and lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, my eyes are open, and my ears are attentive, and my heart is receptive, Lord. And I will hear what you are saying. And I will not miss what you are speaking to your church in this hour.